0: Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
2: I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual.
0: you're about to listen to a sneak peek of the first episode of my new podcast, Flashback. From Ozzy, the creators of The Thread, Flashback is a journey through the hidden connections and ripple effects of history. In our premiere episode, we hear a cautionary tale about hate, free speech, and giving a big platform to little men. Enjoy this sneak peek of our first episode, and don't forget to subscribe so you're the first to hear it in full, along with new episodes dropping every Wednesday. The so there is- April 19th, 1995, just past nine in the morning, a meeting of the Water Resources Board had just begun inside the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in downtown Oklahoma City.
1: Basically, there are four elements that I have to uh, uh, receive information regarding. Everybody <laughs> Down here.
2: Now. A massive car bomb exploded outside of a large federal building in downtown Oklahoma City, shattering that building, killing children, killing federal employees, military men, and civilians.
0: The bomb weighed nearly 7,000 pounds, nearly three quarters of the weight of the nuclear device dropped on Hiroshima. Most people were already inside at work here when the blast ripped the nine story federal office building apart shattering floors and the offices inside. Most devastating of all, the daycare center on the second floor destroyed. That was where most of the children who were killed had been. The first clue as to those responsible for the bombing, the worst domestic terror attack ever on American soil, was an eight-foot piece of twisted metal. It landed nearly 600 feet away from the blast site. It was the axle to the Ryder rental truck that had carried the homemade bomb. The truck, a 1993 Ford, had a vehicle identification number stamped on that axle. It was thanks to the vehicle ID that FBI agents were able to track down and arrest a suspect. The U.S. Attorney General, Janet Reno, reported his capture to the nation.
2: Timothy McVeigh, age 27, was arrested by local authorities
0: 25 years ago, Timothy McVeigh's heinous act killed 168 people, including 19 children. But here's something they didn't tell you on the news, or teach you in school, about what happened in Oklahoma City. A Ford truck may have delivered the fateful payload that terrible April morning in 1995, but Timothy McVeigh's act was really the end of a chain of events that began long before that day the legacy of a toxic package of lies and hate that began 75 years earlier, with another Ford. One whose name we associate with mass production, not mass murder. Welcome to Flashback, a new podcast from Ozzy that aims to bring the past back to life like never before. I'm Sean Braswell, and I'll be your visiting professor, taking you on a journey through history that will change how you look at the world today. Imagine Flashback as that history class you always wanted to take, but could never find. One where there are no textbooks, no exams, and no note-taking. Just the most compelling and surprising stories from the past, told by those who know the most about them. We are all living in the ripple effects of history. And so, in the first season of Flashback, we're going to connect the dots on some of the most incredible unintended consequences from the past. We'll learn how the invention of air conditioning changed the landscape of American politics, how Hitler's doctor changed the course of World War II, and much more. Today's lesson is a cautionary tale about hate, free speech, and giving a big platform to little men.
1: Actually, I remember I was in the sixth grade. I was going to St. Eugene's Catholic School at the time.
0: This is Latrice Sutton. She was 13 at the time of the Oklahoma City bombing.
1: I remember being in class and the whole class spinning up and looking out the window and seeing the puffs of smoke coming out from far away. We didn't know what it was at the time. But it shook our school building. So it was pretty massive.
0: That was not the only sign that something was amiss.
1: My mom was supposed to eat lunch with me that day. And she didn't show up during the lunch period. And since she was a nursing assistant, I thought maybe she got called in to the hospital to help with all the people that were injured. Um, So I didn't think anything of it.
0: Latrice ate lunch with her friends and went to recess as usual.
1: When my aunt came to pick us up from school, um, she was crying. And I think at that point we kind of knew something was wrong.
0: Sutton's mom, Teresa, had gone alone downtown to the Murrah Federal Building to get a social security card for Sutton's eight-month-old brother when McVeigh's homemade bomb exploded. She was 33. Four years before Oklahoma City, Timothy McVeigh made his first killing. He received the Army Commendation Medal for it.
2: Just two hours ago, Allied Air Forces began an attack on military targets in Iraq and Kuwait.
0: In January 1991, the U.S. went to war against Iraq in the first Persian Gulf War. One of the first American soldiers to enter the enemy nation was a 22-year-old infantryman from Buffalo, New York. In the Gulf, you saw combat? This is correspondent Ed Bradley in a 2000 interview that 60 Minutes did with McVeigh in his death row prison cell. And McVeigh was particularly open with his past.
1: I did. You fired
0: a weapon at the Iraqis? Yes. And killed soldiers? Yes. McVeigh was a gunner in a Bradley fighting vehicle, and he was a damn good shot. One day his crew spotted an enemy machine gun nest in the distance. It was more than a mile away, but poised a major threat to American troops. When one of the Iraqi gunners briefly came up from his position, McVeigh popped him right in the chest. The lethal shot, taken from more than 19 football fields away, would help force the surrender of 30 other Iraqis from that position and become the stuff of legend in the army. McVeigh had been using firearms since boyhood.
2: Tim McVeigh was raised in a rural town outside of Buffalo, New York.
0: This is Lou Michelle. He and his colleague at the Buffalo News, Dan Herbeck, spent 73 hours interviewing McVeigh after the bombing.
2: And at a very young age, his grandpa, Ed, taught him how to shoot guns, rifles along the Erie Canal. Ed taught Tim about safety. You just don't shoot a gun anywhere because you could hurt somebody.
0: The son of a factory worker, young Tim had a typical boyhood. He loved pro football, comic books, and battles between good and evil. He even made his own Star Wars lightsabers by attaching flashlights to cardboard tubes.
2: He was known as Noodle McVeigh because he was very slender and uh, he was a target for bullies. Thus, his hatred for bullies, and he came to realize the American government was the ultimate bully.
0: But he didn't come to that realization right away.
2: And in May 1988, he joined the Army. And one of the things he told Dan Herbeck and I was that the Army had all the ammunition anyone could ever want.
0: McVeigh loved guns, and he loved the Army, at first. Other soldiers might have hated the early morning wake-ups, the strenuous training, the uniform inspections, and the discipline. McVeigh thrived. In late 1990, McVeigh learned he was on the fast track to being in the U.S. Special Forces, the elite of the elite. Then, just before his Special Forces tryout, McVeigh learned the Army had a different plan for him. Iraq. I went over there hyped up, just like everyone else. This is McVeigh again in that 60 Minutes interview. Not only is Saddam evil,
1: all Iraqis are evil. Uh, What I experienced, though, was an entirely different ballgame.
0: Dan Herbert co authored McVeigh's authorized biography, American Terrorist, with Lou Michel.
2: And he looked at the U.S. involvement in the Persian Gulf War as a giant, cruel bully picking on the people of Iraq. By the time he got out of the army, he literally hated the U.S. government, the government he had worked for.
0: By the end of the year, McVeigh quit the army. And without the discipline, paycheck, and authorized violence that it afforded him, McVeigh, the bitter anti-government gun lover, was a loose cannon, just waiting for a spark to light him up. Henry Ford was a lot like Timothy McVeigh in some ways. He came from a simple working-class home near Lake Erie, and he grew to hate war and those he believed to be behind it. This is Victoria Wiestie, a legal historian and author of Henry Ford's War on Jews.
1: Ford was a fierce, fierce pacifist and went on record publicly uh, criticizing the way that World War I was
0: being conducted. The eccentric tycoon may have made his fortune from the automobile, but in 1915, he decided to take a boat to Europe in a bold effort to end the war through diplomacy. It proved to be a giant fiasco. Ford's reputation took a beating in the papers. The Chicago Tribune called him, quote, an ignorant idealist and an anarchist.
1: And Ford didn't particularly care for being called ignorant or an anarchist, so he sued for libel.
0: Which made matters even worse. Unable to stop the press from criticizing him, Ford tried something else.
1: So in 1918, he purchased a newspaper in his own hometown, Dearborn, Michigan. It was about to go defunct. It was called the Dearborn Independent. And he even purchased a printing press. He brought it to the uh, Ford Motor Company factory, and he retooled it himself.
0: Ford may not have called the national media fake news, but he was tired of the newspapers spreading what he considered lies. He wanted to have a means for reaching ordinary Americans directly and unfiltered. And it wasn't just to protect his own reputation or sell more cars. Ford was deeply concerned with where America was going as a nation.
1: And he wanted to use the Dearborn Independent to reshape cultural practices, um, people's leisure time activities, how immigrants were assimilated into American culture, and what kind of politics should prevail.
0: Ford used every means at his disposal to bolster his newspaper's readership. Free copies were sent to schools, libraries, and universities across the country. Ford dealers were even required to fill quotas for newspaper subscriptions, just like they did for their car sales. And because
1: they never took subscriptions and they never sold ads, it was a complete loss, Leader, for Ford. But he didn't
0: care. Even if it did not make him money, Ford realized the power that having his own print media pedestal gave him. He had entered the newspaper business to counter the lies he believed were being spread about him. And it didn't take long for Henry Ford to start spreading his own. To listen to this episode in full, click the link in the show notes or search your podcast app for Flashback, History's Unintended Consequences, premiering today.
2: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With Samuel Grease, Did we just invent California?
1: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
2: Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at zerofoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.